I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. I, I would like to say, on Sunday night, there was an uneasiness in, in my spirit. You know, and It's always hard to preach a message like I preach Sunday night. But afterwards, I had a young person come down here that's never said anything to me before and thanked me for what I preached, and that meant, that meant everything to me. Um, and then, um, still, I, I know after leaving the church, I, I just asked God to, to whatever the uneasiness that I felt to, just, to move on this situation because I wasn't sure what it was. Well, I, I, that evening... I got a text from Roxanne, and I, when they were pulling out of the church parking lot, she pulled right in front of a utility vehicle. And she said that they just managed to get stopped, the, the other people did, and, and just barely stopped from hitting them. So uh, that was my uneasiness, and God took care of the situation. And uh, I, I, you know, I, I was so grateful to the Lord for, this, for the fact that sometimes it pays to just... When you feel something like that in the spirit, to stop and and just ask God. You know, maybe you don't know what it is, but He does know, and He's waiting on us. And and really, some of what I'm going to be talking about tonight um, is going to be, you know, in that in that arena, if you would, of, of prayer. Uh, but we're going to start with Matthew six one through four, and again, this is some really basic, but things that we needed to be reminded of. Take, take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have the glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have the reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. You may be seated. Now Jesus is give, simply giving instructions on how to give. To give to the hurting, and to, even in the church. He's just giving instructions. Now it's not so much that no one sees us doing something for others. But it is our attitude that we have when we do our giving. There has been people that has used this particular scripture, and, and it's up to them, but they don't want to put ties in an envelope because they feel like that someone's seeing them give and they know the amount. Well, I don't really believe that's what that's saying. You can secretly put your amount on, and the only people that are going to see that's probably my wife. And and the matter is that you can get you can benefit from it tax time. So, in that sense, that's not what it's saying. But it's your attitude. It's when you have you ever noticed a person that when they have a dollar to give in the offering, they keep it nice and folded up and in their hand. But when they got a 20, it's everybody sees it. That's what I'm speaking of here. Everybody sees that. That's the wrong attitude. 
you want everybody to see it, they need to see your dollar as well as your 20. So, so you know, you just, just be consistent with it. But that's what he's talking about. And the Greek word used for alms is, and I wouldn't even try to say that I even will get close to pronouncing it correctly, but it's elimosin, which can be translated as a gift to the poor, a charitable gift, or any act of generosity to someone in serious need. It's often referring to giving gifts of substance or money. When you help some in need, try your best to give it privately so as not to bring attention to yourself. From the words of Jesus, it appears that some of the leaders of that day, and I believe this is what he was referring to, some of the leaders of that day tried to show others how great they were by giving in the church or even giving on the streets. It was just a matter of having someone see them do it. And he said, you get your reward. People will say, oh, this, this, this is a great person. It's helping the poor out here. So he gets the pat on the back, and that's his reward. But if you can give in secret and are not looking for that pat on the back, then the Lord will reward you in his time. Jesus also mentions here, again, not letting your right hand know what your left hand is doing. So what would you say, anybody here, what's, he, what's you referring to here? Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Anybody? What would he be speaking of? Has anybody ever read that scripture and wondered deep in their heart, what in the world is he saying here? Come on, some of you Bible scholars. Monty, you've got a smile on your face. What's he talking about? Candy had it. Okay, go ahead. Don't let your husband know. That's... You know, it can refer. That could very well be. It's probably wise for some of you here. <laughs> That's not bad. It's not bad at all. <laughs> all right, anybody else? Anybody else? Anything on that? What's your... It would be... It would be... Now, this is... Again, this is just my take on it. It would be if you're in a, in a room with three or four people... And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about here. And you know someone's in need, or even in the church, for instance, that you don't go up and say, oh, I know that you need some money and make this person embarrass this person. They do need it, but you privately shake their hand and slip the money to them and just say, God spoke to me about this, and that's all you need to say. That, that would be not letting your left hand know what your right hand or vice versa is doing so it's doing it doing it in quietly and trying to do it to where it's just you and that person in the room rather than everybody else that's there now matthew 6 verses 5 and 6 we're going to move on with this and it says now when thou prayest thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men Verily I say unto you, they have the reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Now, some people do actually go into closets when they pray. Um, but as long as you have, and, I, and this is what he's referring to, as long as you have that alone time with God, that's what is important. Uh, that, that is the place where true growth in God takes place. Your alone time with God is where true growth takes place. In Philippians 3.10 it says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. 
it should be our greatest desire that we may know him. How many times I've heard preachers preach that particular scripture? The emphasis being on that I may know him. Everybody wants to know Jesus just as closely as they possibly can. They want to know him intimately. But the problem lies within the rest of that scripture. The fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. In order to know Jesus, you have to have the fellowship of suffering and have the, the, the knowledge or the idea that you could die for this. Now, I know that, and I've heard this said, and, and I'm not taking away from this. Some people say being made conformable unto his death means that we have to crucify the flesh. And I believe that. We, the Bible tells us that we need to die daily, if you would. We have to crucify the flesh. But I don't think that's all that this means. I truly believe that when he says being made conformable unto his death, it is our willingness to die for what we have. It's our willingness to do this. I don't know if it was you that told me this. I read it somewhere where it was in, somebody made the statement. Uh, there was in Dearborn, Michigan about the, uh, maybe it wasn't you. Someone told me that in Dearborn, Michigan, that they, they had it. was an ordinance or a law that where you could not go up and talk to a Muslim about converting to Christianity. I, talk, I was talking to Brother Ayers about that earlier. Now, that's, that's in our country. That's Shariah law. They're, they're getting there. Now, what happens when that comes closer to home? We never, we really wouldn't believe we would ever see this. But we do. I, you know, I could go into, I'm not going to get into some kind of political rant here, I promise. But I, you begin to see that as, we, as, as, as our, our rights begin to be eroded, that we begin to see this kind of thing happen. They've got rights, but we don't have rights. Because we're Christians, and we believe in love. And most of the Muslim religion, in its truest form, believe in killing Christians. Now, that's its truest form. And you can just say what you want, but if you, the Koran and people who know how to read the Koran will tell you that's exactly what, what it says. So, so I'm saying that we, we see this. We see this happening. Are we to the point now where we are going to be conformable. In other words, I'm willing to die for this if the time comes that I must do this. If it happens before the rapture of the church, am I willing to go that far? That's what this is saying. And when you do that, then you begin to know him, to know him, truly know what Jesus is all about, and, and, and loving him to that extent. So it's the fellowship of his suffering, and, and I, you know, none of us desire to suffer. Uh, and, and for all of us, this can mean, it can mean something just a little bit different. But when we choose to walk faithfully with the Lord, we can find ourselves in situations that are unpleasant. Some have died for their faith in Jesus. Others have ended up in prison for their faith. And all of us have come to the place where no matter what we have to go through for the Lord, it will never be more than he has already gone through for us. If we look at what he's gone through for us. And a lot of times when you hear a lot of preachers, and I realize that what I'm saying, this, this is true. But it doesn't end there. Yes, he died for us. Yes, he suffered for us. He did all that. 
But that includes when we live for him that we would be willing to suffer for his namesake. Somehow they begin to, people and preachers have, have done this, have preached this to the extent that he suffered so we don't have to. That's not true. I may not be crucified for him, but I should be willing to suffer for him. And the Bible is replete with that kind of information. It tells us that we need to, to be willing to die for him, to die for the cause. And I don't know, we've, uh, we've begun to bring up a lot of weak Christians. A lot of weak Christians. Matthew 28, 20 says, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. He is with us always. And regardless of what we have to endure, regardless of what we have to go through, he will be with us. If it comes to the point of us dying for, and we look back and through the early Christianity, and we see a lot of them that did die for the, for the faith. And you look in Fox's Book of Martyrs, and you can see hundreds and thousands of people that died for the name of Jesus Christ. And should we expect less? If after this list of things which... Oh, let me, let me, I'm sorry, I'm, I, I jumped away. And we, I talked about the final thing, being made conformable unto his death. Let, let's, let's look at a scripture in Galatians five sixteen through 21. I'll read it to you. And it tells us this, I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, you are not under the law. Now... The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's quite a list of things which should not be done. Because they are deeds of the flesh. And Paul uh, began a list of the fruits of the Spirit. And he said, but the fruit of the Spirit is. And again, I always will say there is one fruit of the Spirit that is love. The rest of them are just aspects of love, which is joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we do not manifest the fruits of the Spirit, we have to remember it is God's pleasure to help you if we can manifest these things. This is the key to being conformable unto his death. This is the key to, to, to walking in the Spirit. It's, it is the fruit of the Spirit, which all of us have the fruit of the Spirit when we have the Spirit. But the problem lies within the works of the flesh. Because when the Spirit comes in, it does not cast out the works of the flesh. It pushes the works of the flesh down. And the more that you feed the flesh, the more that the works of the flesh begin to come to the top. When you have the fruit of the Spirit, it should push down the works of the flesh, but they are ever-present there. Ever-present there. So what are you saying? I'm saying this. That's why that we, that Jesus is, is teaching these, uh, these principles. Sermon on the Mount. He's letting us know that you know, these things are there. And if you keep a close relationship with me, if you, if you do the things that I'm teaching here, you will keep the works of the flesh pressed down. They won't lead you. They won't guide you. The fruit of the Spirit, love, should be the, the, the guiding force in all of this. But when you pray... Use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. This is Matthew 6, 7, and 8. 
for they think that they should be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth the things that you have need of before you ask them. This is, I love this scripture. This is the most... What's the use in praying if he already knows what I need? Why waste my time? Why waste my time praying when he already knows I can I can go out and go fishing? I can go shoot my bow. I can go out and, and shoot my rifle. I can I, I can go play football, basketball, and all those other things that I can't do. <laughs> so why do I why do I why do I need to, to? I mean, he already says that. I I've got Bible that tells me that he already knows what I need. Well. Keep a relationship. So do you really don't believe we need to bring our petitions? Go ahead, Charles. I mean, we got, we got this scripture, but we also got a lot of other scripture that tells us we need to pray. But it, it's an interesting... It, it's interesting. Um... Now, the key here, it's not a matter of he knows what we have need of before he asks. That, that's, not, that's not the key point. The key point here is when you pray, don't use vain repetitions. <laughs> I might as well say it. I think I've said this before. How many people know somebody that when you go talk to them, that they tell you the same thing every time you go talk to them? I mean, you can go today... And they'll tell you the same thing. You go the same time tomorrow, and they'll tell you the same thing. You go to the next day, and they'll tell you the same thing. Isn't, doesn't it get old after a while? Now, if you go to that same person, and that same person looks at you and tells you how wonderful you are, how good-looking you are, you'll listen to that all day long, won't you? And you'll go the next day and listen to it again. I mean, if that person throws in a little, you know, a little, uh, few gifts now and then, you'll keep going back to the house. You ever stop and think just how really that, that works that way? If you just get sick of the same thing, but if that person is, is thrown in a little bit, it's, it's the Lord, you know, it's not that he needs it, but he loves to hear us say good things about him, not constantly asking him for something. And vain, it's, it's vain repetitions. It's going over the same thing over and over. He said, that's what the heathen do. You know, many people in our society, again, they repeat the same prayer over and over again. And, and some people find comfort in reciting the Lord's Prayer repeatedly. And if you, if you again, if you had a friend, you, you know that's what I just said. Now, Matthew 6, 9 instructs us, instructs us rather, concerning prayer. It says, after this manner, therefore pray you. Now, he tells you how to pray, and this is the Lord's Prayer. And we see exactly what I just said. He said, after this manner, he goes in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, he says, Our Father, which art in heaven. Jesus is teaching as humanity, God incarnate. But yet he likes to be recognized, and this is something that Jesus' name people sometimes fail to do. 
Whenever you recognize him as your heavenly father, there is something that that does to the heart of God. We know his name. His name is Jesus, and he likes to be referred to his name. But I think in prayer, when we initially go to him, we need to recognize him as our heavenly father as well. And we, we tend to, to, to keep from doing that because that's what the Trinitarians do. Now, we know that Jesus is the Father in creation, the Son in salvation, the Holy Ghost in regeneration. We know that. And, yes, we need to recognize that name. But also, I believe, as a comfort, not only uh, for us, but I think it touches the heart of God, we recognize him as our Heavenly Father. And when you said on, you knew when you were younger, when you sat on daddy's lap and you told him, especially you women, you told him as a little girl, you told him how much you loved him, he'd do anything in the world for you. Still works on me, never has changed. Anything in the world. But you see, we, we fail to recognize him in that role. And he wants to be recognized. That's the reason it says this. We don't have to repeat verbatim the, the Lord's Prayer, but we need to recognize him, our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. And what do we do? We begin to exalt his name. Because in the name of Jesus, there's salvation. But in the name of Jesus, there is also power. In Psalms 100, verse 4, it tells us how to enter his gates. He said, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, unto his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. In Matthew 6.10, it says, Thy kingdom. So we're looking at the Lord's Prayer, breaking it down. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now, regardless of what anybody would say, and you can see different translations if you would, but what it says here is, and, and, it's, and it means this, will be done in earth. Now, other translations, I don't know if it says it. That's King James, and that's, just leave it there. In earth, and I believe it means exactly that, not on earth. It doesn't say on earth. It says in earth. I want his will to be done inside of me. I'm made of the dust of the earth. All of us are made of the dust of the earth. His will needs to be done in me. Yes, I'd like to see the will of God done on earth. But it's not going to be done on earth till it's done in earth. Because the only way the will of God's going to happen uh, with on on the earth is when it's inside of us working out. That is the only way that it will happen. So he we see that it should be done in earth as it is in heaven. In Matthew six and eleven, give us this day our daily bread. Now we acknowledge that we need Him to provide our earthly needs. In Psalm thirty-seven twenty-five, David says, "I have been young and now I am old. Yet I have seen, I have not seen, rather, I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread." God knows we need food. He designed us that uh, that way, and He will take care of our needs. If earthly fathers supply the needs as best they can for their children, how much more will our heavenly Father supply our needs? In Matthew six twelve, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is simply a reminder, if we are expected to be forgiven, we have to forgive. It's just a reminder. In Matthew six fourteen fifteen, for if we forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. In Matthew six thirteen, it goes on, it says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Here Jesus is, is asking us to pray for help with evil that will come our way. 
1 Corinthians 10, 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. <clears throat> that scripture is, um, is an excellent scripture. You ever got to the point in temptation where you just didn't think there was any way for you to escape? And you, you've given in. I don't want you to answer it. I'm just, just rhetorical here. You just, you know, you, you, you get to that point, and no matter what you do, you, you're going to give in to this temptation. And one of the best examples of, of someone escaping, all right, God said he'll make a way of escape. I can't see that way of escape. Sometimes the way of escape is the same way that Joseph escaped, Potiphar's wife. You just simply go running out the door. I think sometimes we think that God is going to send an angel down to, to beat up the subject or, or take away whatever it is that may be tempting us, when in reality all we need to do is walk away from the situation. And I'm not telling you, I'm not telling you that you need to walk out on a job. But on the other side of that, if you've got a job that is causing you temptation where you can't serve God, then the best thing for you to do is walk away from it. Now, I know that that probably won't be taken very well, but uh, rather than lose out with God because there's something going on in the place that I work that's tempting me to not serve God, then you need to walk away from that job. So that's just, that's, you know, there's always a way of escape. Absolutely always a way of escape. Temptations will come as long as we live in this body. But God will be your help if you'll just simply seek him. Jesus ends with Matthew 6:13 for thine is the kingdom power and the glory forever amen He's simply telling us to acknowledge him as lord of everything even looking into the future when he will have his or when he will set up his kingdom Prayer is essential A Christian will not be a Christian very long if he doesn't pray he or she doesn't pray he simply won't be one very long You have to have a prayer life let me let me let, let, let me get in on this a little bit because some time ago on Sunday mornings we, I did a series on prayer and I talked about and I think this gets into some of that here in a few minutes but uh, I talked about the ask seek and knock ask and it shall be given to you seek and you shall find knock and the door shall be opened unto you and I divided this this platform up and said you know this is the ask ask session this is a section I'll get it right uh, this is a seek section this is a knock section over here. And, and each one is, is a category within itself, asking be that being what we are, that we have to bring our petitions before God. And so we feel, we feel obligated to get rid of our petitions, ask for our children, our parents, our needs. And so that's the ask section. Knocking, um, seek, I'm sorry, seeking is deeper you begin to seek the mind and the heart and the will of God. And, and you begin to talk to him about deeper things than just a list of, I need this. Knocking is when you begin to listen for the voice of God. You don't always have to make noise when you pray. Sometimes you just need to listen for the voice of God. That's what the knocking. Uh, and, you know, everyone, that, that's, that's always been my take on this. But regardless, prayer is absolutely essential. And Jesus has given us an example of how to pray. But you have to remember, every prayer must come from your heart. 
It must come from your heart to his heart. Genesis 3.8 says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. We no longer have to hide ourselves from God because we know his love is beyond measure. We know that. And that's something that we can never ever take for granted. Because of the mercy of God, no matter what we do, how, how we, uh, what kind of messes that we, we get into, we realize that God is going to take care of us. He will always take care of us. And regardless of how bad we may think we are, the Lord's going to let us know that he'll make a way for us regardless of what we have to go through, what we have to endure. Sermon on the Mount is something every Christian should refresh ourselves often until, until we have the Word of God actually hidden in our heart. We need to have it hidden completely in our heart, planted deeply in our heart. The Lord's teachings are written so well that we know how to conduct ourselves as true Christians. We, we, we must have that. We have to conduct ourselves in that manner. We don't have to impress others. We just need to conduct ourselves in the manner that the Lord has for us. And in Matthew 6, 16 and 18, did I have that one, sis? Okay, there we go. Moreover, moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, wash thy face, that thou appear not to fast. But unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. We don't have to impress others on how spiritual we are. And there are times when we are tempted to impress others with our spirituality. And they may look up to us as a result of this. But Matthew twenty three eleven says, But he that is great among you, shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he shall humble himself shall be exalted. If we accomplish anything in this life, it will be because we have allowed Jesus to work through us. There's only, only one to be exalted, and that's him. Absolutely him and him alone. In Revelations 4, 9 through 11, it says, And when, these, uh, when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the thrones who live forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created." The setting here is the church of, uh, of Jesus Christ after they have been taken from the earth, and it will be the first time that they see Jesus face to face. That's what the Scripture is talking about. They see him face to face, and they fall down. It's interesting. It's interesting when we begin to see, and going back to the Scripture I read to you, there is one thing that Jesus keeps trying to impress on everyone, and that is we don't do anything for ourselves. Paul said it, no flesh should glory in his presence. And there lieth the crux of most church problems. Right there. When a person sings, preaches, testifies, whatever they may do, play an instrument, when they do it simply to get the accolades from the people, then they are going to lose. The church is going to lose. 
If you want to be have a position because you can say, I've got a position in the church, then you're going to lose and the church is going to lose. When we have humility and whatever we do, we do simply for the Lord. I don't fast so that you know that I can fast. Ninety percent of the time you get someone that has gone on a three-day fast, I can spot you a mile away. Maybe you don't mean to, but you look it. And what's he saying? You know, I know, and I've anointed people who say that, but that's not what that scripture's saying. They didn't, a matter of you coming down here and saying, hey, anoint me, I'm going to go on a fast. That means you just need to look normal. They did anoint their head with oil. They made their face shine. What they were doing was they just simply wanted to look normal while they fasted. They didn't want anybody to know they were fasting. When you do that kind of a fast, then something's going to move in heaven. And that's, that's, it's just, he goes over and over and over again. Don't do this to bring glory to yourself. Do it to bring glory to me. And Matthew six nineteen twenty one says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where the thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, the Lord is teaching us that the things of this world are all temporary, but the things of the kingdom are forever. And if you're consumed with obtaining great possessions, you can learn from this scripture. You can't take anything with you. The things that go on to heaven before you are the things that you do for God. You teach someone a Bible study, it's stored in heaven. You help out a poor family with some of your substance, it's noted in heaven. But you have to remember the attitude you have when you do these things or when you do any of these kind deeds. And it will surely matter. You know, it, it's not a matter of teaching a Bible study just to show somebody how great you are, how great a teacher you are, how great a preacher you are. Do your works with a kind heart, always wanting to help others and not thinking at all of yourself. And that way the church will prosper, you will prosper, and the kingdom of God will grow. And that is, that is the only way that it will happen. Matthew six twenty two through 23. Light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. Scripture here seems to be referring to <clears throat> that our eye be focused on the things of the kingdom and not on things of the world. If our eye is focused on things that appear good to the eye, it will ultimately be focused on darkness. Let's just, put it, let's just put it simply here. The things that you like the most in the flesh, if your eye is toward those things and those things alone, then your eye is full of evil. But if your eye is on the kingdom of God, you know, look at a great example of this is Abraham and Lot. Lot could only see the well-watered plains of Shinar. Abraham could see the rocks and the crags. It wasn't pleasant to the eye. But Abraham was blessed, and Lot wound up losing his whole family, practically. Sometimes the things that look good to you are not the things that are best for you. The things that look the hardest for you are the things you need to step out and do. Matthew six twenty four through 34. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. 
Anybody know what mammon is? Money. Money. Mammon is money. And it's the nature of man to have desires. Some desire to be an inventor. Others may desire to be a doctor. These are good desires. Nothing wrong with those. But when our desire for anything exceeds our desire to please God, then we have a problem. Hebrews 11, verse 5, we read, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. It was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he had pleased God. Enoch is a type of the church. The church must have this testimony that we please God. For the church is a blood-bought bride. And sometimes people get a desire to be rich, so they have, have need of nothing. We end up in the place where we do not have to trust God for our needs. Anybody ever just, ah, come on, let's be honest. Don't you get tired sometimes saying, you know, you need this amount of money this next month, and you've got to trust God for it. Don't you just wish you had it in the bank? See, 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 being honest. You didn't have to trust God anymore. If you had millions of dollars, you didn't have to trust God. <laughs> but if you got money, the Bible says money answereth all things. <laughs> you never know. Okay. <laughs> but you would like that experience. Do you think, though, that in reality, knowing the life that you've lived, knowing how God has taken care of you, do you think you would miss that trust in God? Okay. Anybody else? Can I, you know what I'm saying here. I mean, it's not that you are not going to serve God. It's just you get tired of believing God for the next time you go to the grocery store or something. You know, go ahead. But the reality of that is that you would soon see everything. Yeah. Where do you go from there? You know, where do you go after you've been everywhere, done everything? Where do you go from there? Well, don't you think till this what Jesus said it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle for a rich man to go to heaven? Of course, the eye of the needle was a small gate inside of a large gate. And a camel could go through it if he got on his knees. So you could get a camel through it. So you can get a rich man to heaven, but he's got to get on his knees. And that's the whole point right there. The more money that you have, the harder it is for you to get on your knees. Because you don't need. Sure. And you've got people that, I mean, you pay them, they'll do anything for you. You don't have to do anything. Bring your breakfast to bed, cook your steaks for you. Almost like being married, right? Well, <laughs> you, know, you look at this, though, and it's so simple to trust. And Jesus warns over and over and over again. You trust in your money, and you fail to trust him. You know, I'll be honest. It would be, <laughs> I'd love for someone to come over and dump a million dollars in our lap so we got that building done. It would have been great. But when we get through this, now being in the, well, we're not really in the middle. We're towards the end of it now. But in the middle of it, you know, I, you know we were trusting God. I was praying. My wife was praying. God, God you know, we're not going to borrow money. And we haven't. And it's, it's, it's come up. We don't even know how. 
And I look back on that, and I'm so thankful for the experience because God showed me that this was his will by the fact that here in Owen County, the poorest county in Indiana, that we were able to do this. That had to be from God. And that builds you. You know, if I'd had the money in the bank to go build a thing, you know, we could have built a thing and, and, and been over with, but would we have learned anything? Might have had a few less gray hairs, but, but that's my fault. My wife might have had a few less gray hairs. I don't get gray hair. <clears throat> Moving on. <laughs> Jesus, again, spent a lot of time teaching on riches and the dangers. Matthew nineteen sixteen through 22, a rich man came to Jesus and desired to know how he may have uh, eternal life. The rich man had kept the commandments of the Lord from his youth, and, was, and, and that was good. But Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions." Matthew thirteen three, Jesus tells a parable of the seed of the sower. In verse 22, he tells the one whose soil was full of thorns. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. There's the deceitfulness in riches. Choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Riches can then cause your heart to trust in your riches and not in God. One more scripture in Matthew 6.31, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought of the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. He's telling you here that this is the true trust in God. When a person has done it right, they're not lazy, they have a job, they're working, doing the best they possibly can, then he's telling us that we need not worry about what tomorrow has to bring. Because sufficient today is all the things you've got to battle today. Don't take on tomorrow's battle, and boy, I'm bad at that. I like to take on tomorrow's battle, the next week's battle. I take them all on one day. You do that too, Eric. I can tell by looking at you. Shake it. You do. You. You. I. I, I got to figure out next week, and next week is still seven days a week away. I got to figure it out. And Jesus is telling me here. They said you don't need to do that. You need just to trust in me. Hardest thing in the world sometimes to do. Well, I can say I trust God. But I'm still trying to figure out how to do it. Well, what if? Now, and it crosses your mind, well, what if God doesn't come through? I've got to get this figured out. Now, that's really a lot of faith, isn't it? Am I hitting anybody with this? I'm just talking to myself. I'm, that's all I'm doing. I'm not talking to anybody out there. Got to figure this out. Tough. It goes back to where that line is. Now, according to this, said, don't worry about tomorrow today, sufficient today is the evil that you're going to. In other words, he said, you're going to fight bad things today, but don't worry about tomorrow's bad things because they're going to be, they're going to be here. You know, no matter what you do, you're going to have it. You're going to face temptation tomorrow just like you did today. You're going to face, you know, I don't have enough money today just like you will tomorrow. But somehow you get through life, and at the end of it all, you're not too bad off. 
And I can tell you this time after time, and those of you that have been here any length of time or in church any length of time can say the same thing. If you're faithful to God and you tithe and you give, you may not think you're going to make it through, but at the end of everything you find out that you're better off than you've ever been. And the money does come. It's just being faithful to God. So he says, don't worry about those things. Seek first the kingdom of God. God's going to take care of you. And you can only serve one master. In other words, he's saying if you start worrying about everything else, then you're serving another master. Matthew 7, 1 through 5 tells us to judge not that you be not judged. Oh, I don't have enough time to get into this in any detail. That's, that's the one that every charismatic in the whole world uses. Judge not lest you be judged. Look at him and say, this is what the Bible says. You can't judge. And actually, that's not what that's saying at all. You can judge. He's just saying here, because you go another place, I think it's in Luke, where it says, with what measure you, you judge, you're going to be judged. What measure you meet shall be met unto you. You can judge as long as you're willing to be judged by the same measure that you've judged. If I'm telling a person this is what you need to serve God, then I have to know that i got to have the same thing. And if the Bible tells me that's what I need, I don't have any problem whatsoever of judging you on that matter. In fact, it even tells you in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, that the prophets, when someone prophesies, let him sit by and judge him. Be sure that he's saying the truth. So yes, you can, but you just have to be ready. Now, some people... They spend their time judging other people. They usually have uh, a lot of problems themselves. It's a fact that most of us can see another's problems more clearly than we can see our own. And if you sincerely see your brother commit a certain sin over and over again, the best that you can do is first pray for your brother. And if the problem continues, talk with your brother and ask if you can help. Join your brother in prayer that he may have victory. And someday he may be able to help someone else with the same or a similar problem. The, the deal here is don't condemn your brother. Judge. He's talking here is condemnation and judgment. Don't condemn that person. Yes, I'm not judging when I tell you what the Bible says. God is doing the judging because God's the author of the Word of God. So God's doing the judging. But when you condemn a person, that's a completely different story. When you're condemning them, let God be the one who judges in these situations. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. So if I am converting a sinner from the error of his way, then in that matter, then I'm probably judging. That's how some people see it. So I can't go help the Muslim become a Christian anymore because I am condemning or not kidding. I'm judging that man that he's not going to go to heaven, which he's not. Now, who's doing a judging here? The Word of God is doing a judging. Because you can go back in history and see where Muhammad used to go to a Catholic church. It's what turned him off on Christianity. So if you want to judge anybody, judge a Christian Catholic church. He, just, he couldn't understand why that someone had to pray to Mary, which most of your Arabs don't like women. Um, sorry. hope there's no Arabs in here. If you are, you're in the wrong place. <clears throat> <laughs> the devil takes pleasure in destroying a Christian. 
There was a message preached years ago, and uh, you, I don't know if you if you remember hearing the history of it. I remember when I first got in church, and, and it was called the Trophies of Hell, and that was preached and re-preached. Uh, different preachers preached the same message, and they changed a little bit. But the original message, the man who preached it was a son of a superintendent over one of the districts, and his father had backslid. And what this, this man was doing was he was warning all of us that it does not matter our position. The devil wants us back. No one is so spiritual that they can't be tripped up. Absolutely not. Beware when you think you stand, lest you fall. So when we go back to what I just said about judgment, be sure to know that when you make a judgment that you're going to be judged by that same measure. And you've got to be sure you're not going to fall. All right, that's, I'm going to quit. Not done, but I'm going to quit. Stand with me. We're going to fight until the day that Jesus comes back. We're going to fight the flesh. We're going to fight the devil. You know, it's going to be a constant battle for all of us. And I know that there are a lot of, and I believe in blessings, I preach blessings. I believe in them. But I also believe that before God ever blesses us, that he's going to see what we're made out of. And before we ever get all the blessings that God has for us, we're going to go through some times of trial. We're going to be, we're going to be led to the furnace of affliction. It's going to happen. And if we come through that furnace of affliction, we're going to, uh, affliction rather, we are going to be, we're going to be purer than we ever have been. And it's the pure hearts, what I talked about last Wednesday. It's a pure heart that's going to see God. It's a pure heart that's been purified over and over again that's going to have the blessings of God. We're going to cross the Jordan River into that land of promises. Then we're going to have to be, we're going to have to be pure. And we're going to have to live the kind of life that I've been talking about on Wednesdays. Let's raise our hands to the Lord together right now. Father, we thank you for your blessings, your goodness, your mercy. And I pray that you bless each and every one, Lord, as they travel tonight. Touch them, keep them in every way, I ask here this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you.